I just want to tell you that it is awesome to be here together with the family to, to worship the Lord because He is that awesome. And it is good. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. And we do serve an awesome God. And He is the Lion. And we talked about in Sunday school how that He is sovereign. He is sovereign over nations, whether the nations think it or not. He is simply sovereign. And that is the God that we are here to worship this morning. And so we appreciate you being here. And we just want to continue to worship as we pray together. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. We praise you for it. And God, we, we don't deserve to be in your presence. And Lord, even knowing that doesn't really help that much. But it puts us in the place where we know that we are just blessed by you to be here. Lord, we have an opportunity to serve you, to worship you in your holiness and your power. And so, God, we just give ourselves to you. This time is yours. This place is yours. And we pray that you would do in our heart and in our midst exactly what you want to do today. Don't let us do anything that would keep us away from what you want in us. So, Lord, we thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to just not only welcome you here, but also just there's one thing that we do need to, uh, do need to say, and that is, again, if you are interested in taking part in the techno world back there, helping to <clears throat> run cameras and, and things such as that, let Brian know, and we will hopefully add to that team so that it, it divides the workload between all of those guys and ladies who are volunteering back there. And so we want to continue in our worship by taking an offering, and so if we could get a few guys help in doing that. But as the guys are coming, I want to let you know that I believe that we are going to have the Efflers with us next week, and so we're going to be sending them off. They're heading to Africa very soon, and so just make sure you know that, and don't, uh, don't forget to be here for that next week. All right, let's pray. God, the greatest offering ever given was given by you. And so, Lord, today as we give, we know we can't top your gift. We can't outgive you. But, Lord, we give because you gave to us, because you direct us in that. As a part of our worship, we give to you. And, Lord, we pray that you would lead us to give sacrificially, but also cheerfully. And Lord, we always pray for our leadership as we spend money. We pray that you would make us wise and not allow us to waste a penny. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> I am free. What does that mean to us as believers? We're not free from persecution, that's for sure. We're not free from living in a country of, uh, full of lost people. We're not free from the responsibility that we have to, to uh, continue to show the joy that we have to them so that hopefully it becomes infectious and, and we have an opportunity to share the gospel with those people. There's lots of things that we are, we are not free from, but <clears throat> this song says, Through you, through God, the darkness flees. All we have to do is say his name, and the enemy has to leave. And through you, my heart screams, I am free. <clears throat> uh, guys, that's what we're here to do today. We're here to praise and worship our creator, the, 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 the one who, who demands that the darkness flees when we scream his name, Jesus. So, guys, let's, let's stand up and let's get excited about that. Let's have fun worshiping God this morning. You know what's cool? is that 
maybe Brian and I should talk more about the songs, but we don't. And um, but we're talking about the King today, and God does this all the time. And we talk about it after the church service is over often about how you know God knows what He's doing, and it is you will see the King hopefully in what we do today and today is a big deal because if you have been with us since january the first we began in genesis and with the plan for the whole entire year to preach through the whole bible and and the reason for this is i want us to get a picture in our minds and etched in our heart of one book, one author, one message, start to finish. God did not make it up as he was going along, and he knew what he was doing the whole entire time. And so, the picture that we began to, to look at in Genesis 1, it seemed like the Old Testament would never end at times, I am sure. And at the same time, as preaching through the whole Bible, you, many of you are reading through the whole Bible on your own, and some of you have, have journeyed through a weary time in the, in the wilderness, so to speak, and getting through some some pretty tough reading at times. But, the New Testament opens today, guys. And it is, it's interesting that we are almost in October, and we're just getting to, to Matthew. But, if you think about it, the Old Testament is much longer and we're exactly where we need to be. And so it's not like we're behind because this is not the middle of the year as we get to the middle of the Bible. We're right on schedule. And But I want to point out to one book, one author, one message, and joining the two, though 400 years between where we were in Malachi last week to where we are in Matthew this week, the silence of God did not lead to the forgetfulness of God. There is a perfect joining of Old Testament and New Testament, and we're going to see that as we go. And so, each of the Gospels approach this portrait of God, this portrait of Jesus, from a different perspective. So, four books, four authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but like Mark, he is writing to persecuted believers, encouraging them to persevere. Luke, he is writing to Theopolis, which is a dude's name. You might want to consider that one, next person who has a baby. And he is he's giving him the historical account of Jesus. And then he follows up with that in Acts. And John, well, that's easy because John tells us in John 20, 31, I am writing so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But Matthew, he is writing to a, a Jewish audience that is coming out of traditional Judaism. He, Matthew is writing to the Jews that we have been talking about for months. And so this is, this is a great book to bridge the gap between Old Testament and New Testament because Matthew does a, a wonderful job of tying Jesus to the line of David. And remember we had spoken about in the prophets, <clears throat> he's coming. He's coming. A Savior is coming. The sacrificial system is, is not going to do it. You have to keep on killing the goats. You have to keep on sprinkling the blood and all that nasty stuff. 
it doesn't work, but you're doing it so you can see that it doesn't work because one day I will send you the sacrifice that will work. Enter Matthew. And so I want us to read Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 17, and you're going to hear a lot of names that we have talked about over the last seven, eight months. And so if you would, with your Bibles open to Matthew 1, 1, or you can stare at the screen, would you stand please as we read the word of the Lord this morning? The genealogy of Jesus, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abiah, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Let's pray. God, as we dig in your word, dig in our hearts, root out what needs to leave, and open our hearts to your truth. And Lord, make our steps follow the truth that you impress in our hearts by your Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So aside from a whole list of names that you most likely wouldn't name your kids, what do we get here? What do we get in this? Hopefully you recognized a lot of the names in you see some weird things. And when I would read, I remember reading through the Bible, and it was hard. It was hard to stay focused on why in the world do I need to read all of these names, and it's terrible. And I would always think, because you know who I am by now, I would always think, why in the world would a mama name her kid that? <clears throat> That's what I thought about all the time. Zerubbabel. Kingly line, right? You had power, you had money, and you thought, hmm, that looks like a Zerubbabel to me. Why would you do that? But as we go through this text, as even we read these 17 verses, we could camp out here forever in talking about the Old Testament that we have just read through. So much is here in this text. But today, <clears throat> we are talking about Jesus the King. And that question is a question that you need to answer. Is Jesus the King? There was this young lady that I worked with in the hospice world. 
She was a nurse. She was very troubled and dealing with some tough stuff, some darkness, some sin, and but she was searching. She was searching for. She knew that there had to be more than this than this to this life. There had to be more. There had to be something else. And I shared with her that I believe that we were created for so much more than this. This is just the this is just the small potatoes. And and she was talking about spiritual enlightenment and she had spiritual advisors and all of this stuff. And I said, "Look, here's the bottom line. Everybody has to make the decision. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? And you and I and every other human on this planet will answer that question. What will you do with Jesus? Is Jesus the king? And we have an opportunity to answer this now and do something about it now. Or everybody will answer that question on their face before Jesus the king. Is Jesus the king? Such an important question. And it's really not... He's really not the king that they were expecting. He's not the, really the king that we would expect. But it's an important question. It, it is an his, a historic question. A historic question because they paid people to know the law. They paid people to know the word. They studied it all the time, all day, and they knew, looking forward, there would be a king. And it's important that this is the line of David, and we'll get to that later. But this is a historic question, but it's also a personal question. This personal question, and I lay it at your feet as it is at my feet, is Jesus the king? And so, we're going to look at this kind of in a political way. I don't know... In your world, did anybody here in school ever like run for a an office in school, like class president or any of those things? Raise your hand if you were such royalty. That's right. That's right. I would not have got one vote, none. And because I was too shy to actually talk to anybody, so there was no way I was running. But I remembered it. It was you know, posters all over the place. They give their speeches and say, what can I do for you? And blah, blah, blah. And you, you do your deal, right? So, <clears throat> but now we are in political season. Every time you, you read or anything on Facebook, you have an option to sign up for a ballot, have your registered vote, and all of these things. Who do you want? And I would go through who I vote for and why I vote for whoever I vote for. But I hope, as you have heard the word, that you do vote and that you vote from the perspective of a mature believer. But what I want to, to focus on here is we talk about Jesus the King Think about Jesus being on display to be voted on. If he were running for office, let's look at from that perspective of King Jesus right now. And let's look at the king's endorsements. The king, in, the king is endorsed from the Jewish people. He is endorsed by King David. You see he's in the kingly line, and if, if Jesus were running for office, which he isn't, right, because he is king, but he's endorsed by being in the line of David. And you see this, Matthew wants to make this point very clear, and so you see it throughout the book. Throughout the book, you see time and time again talking about the line of David. Chapter 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. 
chapter 12, verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? Chapter 15, verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. So there it is again. Son of David, again and again and again. Chapter 20, verse 30. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The next chapter, verse 9, chapter 21, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then in verse 15. The blind and lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. It's important that we see he's in the line of the kings because it was foretold that he would be what is also interesting is that of all of those little texts all of those verses that i read most of them had to do with blind people did you notice that did you get it that the blind people were seeing that he was from the line of david and the people that could see like the teachers of the law they were indignant they didn't like it but the blind people got it that should tell us something so He's endorsed by the Jewish people, but really from all peoples. We see the wise men. They traveled from far away. They were not Jews. They brought gifts of royalty to the real king. He's endorsed from the Old Testament prophets. And this is where we've been for, for months. The Old Testament prophets, as you read through these prophets over these months you read over 300 specific references to the coming of christ isn't that incredible 300 references to the coming of the christ before it happened so is this made up all of this did the new testament writers make it up Did they fake it? Is this manipulated? Did somehow they just write about what happened before it happened? And did they, in a sketchy way, kind of twist words or twist facts? Jesus, did Jesus plan his steps? To fulfill the Old Testament prophecies, that's what I hear some people saying. Did Jesus, Jesus went places or did things so that he would fulfill the prophecies because he wanted everybody to think that he was the Messiah. But there are some problems to that because Isaiah seven fourteen says that he would be born of a virgin, right? And it's kind of hard for the baby to control that he would be born to a virgin. He didn't have a say in that. It was foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5 verse 2. He'd be born in Bethlehem. Babies don't say where they're going to be born. Sometimes they're born in a car. Sometimes they're born in a hospital. Sometimes they're 
born at home somewhere. He was born in Bethlehem. He had nothing to do with that. A little later, you know that passage in Micah, it says that out of Egypt I have called my son. Jesus was a little kid when they were killing babies and Joseph and Mary fled to Egypt for his safety. And, and then when it was time, he was called back out of Egypt. He did not uh, determine that. Mom and dad determines where a kid lives. And Jeremiah shares this incredibly sad picture of judgment time when the, the women are weeping for the, their dead children. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, he quotes it. It says, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the, the background where Jesus fled with his parents to Egypt, and then after the threat was over, he came back. And What I want to to get across is this is not fixed, it's not made up, it's not manipulated. This is miraculous. This is an awesome act of God in that we see his divine hand in all of these things. And so Thank you, sir. And so he is He's being endorsed by the text. And even from John the Baptist in his, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, in those days, chapter 3, verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You know, he was foretelling what was coming. But also, he got a divine endorsement from God the Father when he was baptized. When, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, chapter 3, verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so we see that God the Father, we see that Jesus is dearly loved by God, we see that he is fully pleasing to God. And so, I want to get personal a second. As we look at this text, as we look at this Jesus and we, we ask for ourselves, is Jesus the king? It brings me to think about something for myself. You know, I am not the king because Jesus, I mean, I am not the king because God is not pleased with me. I am not the king because God is not pleased with my sinfulness. And the same is true of each of us. But Jesus is the king because God is pleased with his sinlessness. And so there's the king's endorsements. Let's look a minute at the king's platform. What's he running on? What are we looking at with his, his words and his works? We see that this, this Jesus loves the unlikely. So this is how Matthew views Jesus. He loves the unlikely. You see, even what I've read already, look at Matthew himself, a tax collector. But to those who are despised and in darkness and the shadow of death, you know, the light of Christ dawns on you. He is this one that loves the unlikely. And I am grateful for that because I am unlikely. 
You know, just as I was unlikely to ever be class president, I am unlikely to ever experience the presence of God apart from what Christ did on the cross. And you are unlikely to. And so, he loves the unlikely. He conquers the uncontrollable. You know, and things that that we have looked at since I have been your pastor, we highlight these things all the time, that he conquers the uncontrollable. He has authority over everything. He has authority over disease. Think of that, the leper. You've been through the Gospels. He has authority over disease, over leprosy, over everything. He has authority over demons. He casts them out. He has authority over nature. Remember when he's in the boat, he's asleep, taking a nap, things go nuts, the waves, they feel like they're going to die. They wake him up and say, hey, don't you care about us? And he says, chill. You know, be still. And there it is. Other times he's walking on the water. He has authority over nature. Chapter 9 tells us that he has authority over sin. He has authority over suffering. He has authority over death. And he does all this. He conquers with compassion and this is incredible. And so he conquers the uncontrollable. The things that, that people then and now believe are uncontrollable, things over which we have no control, Jesus just does it. He just controls it. And how many times throughout history in the text, in the Old Testament, have we seen it? Remember in Jonah, a long time ago when we went through Jonah? He has authority over a fish. He has authority over the weather. He's Lord. So he conquers the un uncontrollable. He serves the undeserving. <clears throat> Throughout the text of Matthew, despite threats, he continues to heal. And he will heal and say, don't tell anybody. It's not time yet. But every time it seems that anybody sees him doing any of these things, they get ticked and plan to kill him. You know, and he says, you know, the cripple, stretch out your hand, and he does. And when he does, they see what's going on, and from that point on, <coughs> excuse me, that was weird. And so... They plot to kill him. Like from that point on, they're planning his death. And what's funny is, all this time, he knows it. All this time, he's telling everybody, he's telling his disciples, I'm going to die. After three days, I'll be raised from the dead, but I'm going to die. And then they're plotting his death, and the apostles, the disciples, like, no connecty dots. But he continues to do it even though he's being threatened to death. And despite rejection, he continues to teach. Remember, he's even rejected in his hometown. They say it's, you can't ever go home, right? They never met Jesus. Despite betrayal, he continues to love even though Judas betrayed him, he continues to, to love. And so this is the king's platform. This is his works. This is what he did on the earth. But then you see the king's promise. The king's promise, we've already foreshadowed this. One promise is that his life will be taken. These aren't things that you expect to hear from the king's mouth that I will be killed. 
Matthew chapter 16. Go there with me. Chapter 16, verse 21. Remember when Jesus asked Peter, Who do you say I am? And who do they say I am? You know, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and then right after that in verse 21 it says from that time on jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life and of course you see peter's response to that not going to happen never lord he said this shall never happen to you and jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Is this how a king rules? You know, is this how a king reigns? By saying his life will be taken? But he also says not only his life will be taken, but he says his death will be temporary. You just heard there. But then, chapter 17, verse 22 when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. His death will be temporary. Remember the song we just sang? You know, he will not stay dead. His death. You know, he's the only king able to defeat death. He's the only king able to give life. And this is a big deal. And, and as we hear all of this, most of us have been in church before a long time, and we've heard this. We've heard about Jesus' death and his resurrection. We've heard this, but... But more and more, we are living in a culture, in a society, that this to them is garbage. They don't get this. They don't get this at all. Why do I want a king who says he's going to live forever? Why do I want a king that is dead? Well, that's because they're ignorant. But why are they ignorant? Maybe because those who know he's alive... Or being silent. His life will be taken. His death will be temporary. His victory will be timeless. As a result of, of these other promises, his victory will be timeless. In other words, this king's campaign is not over. This king is coming back. And that... That will be a day where he will not be on a donkey, but the horse. That will be the day when the disciples will not be crying, will be celebrating. And so, if you're looking at this from the perspective of, of all of the choices of who to follow in this life, and you see that, you know, Jesus is endorsed by all of these. This is his promises. These are his, his platform. And, but look at it in the terms of death and life. If you look at, I don't know, I look at it this way. I spent a lot of time in school. Unreasonable amount of time in school. And I haven't always been the greatest of students. But, but I also knew my weaknesses. In college, well, okay. Ever since letters started appearing in math problems, I started struggling in math. Algebra was, was brutal. I hated it. I survived it. But in college, 
you have to do math. You just got to. You got to do minimal math requirements and be able to move on. <clears throat> I tried everything under the sun to get out of doing math and still graduating. I tried physics, and that was a mistake. <laughs> that did not work. <clears throat> so what I figured out was, in college, I tried to, I would go to the class, the first class, and you know, you go to class and you get the syllabus and you know how bad this is going to hurt or whatever, you know. And so I start looking around, you know. I'm a quiet guy, but I'm not dumb. So I start learning, who knows this junk? Who knows this stuff? First day of class, I'm looking, I'm thinking, mm, not him. <laughs> and I will learn who knows what they're doing. And I will study with those guys. And I would let them, I would admit right up front, look, I bring nothing to the table. I'm a math moron. But if it helps you to teach someone who knows nothing, if it helps you get the concepts, it sure would help me get the concepts. And I would study with those guys. But I don't study with people who keep failing the test, right? I wouldn't study with people like me. I study with people that pass the test with flying colors all the time, right? So that's who I'm going to follow, so to speak, in getting my math requirements and get out of this school. Well, take that mindset. Look at life from the perspective of just random Joe Blow in our culture. And if you're looking, who am I going to follow? Buddha, in the test of life or death, Buddha's dead. He was dead, and he's still dead. And in Asian religions, Confucius, he failed. He's dead. The same is true with Muhammad. He failed the test. He's dead. But let me say, millions of people follow the teachings of these three. All over this world, millions follow a dead person that's still dead. But Jesus was dead and then not dead. There's only one. He passed the test with flying colors. We should follow him. The one, the only one that lives to tell the story about his own death. And this king is coming back. And so it boils down to this. For you, for me, for everybody. Two ways to live. And that's it. Two ways to live. Reject Jesus as king. And we may reject Jesus as king because of self-indulgence, what we were talking about last week. We, we want to live life our way. We reject Jesus as king because we want to do what we want to do. Or we may reject Jesus as king because we are self-righteous and we believe perhaps we are the king. We don't need a king. I am just fine. When God looks at me, he's going to need no other. That's right. Have you read the Bible? That does not go well. And so the two ways to live, it's as easy as that. Reject Jesus as king or follow Jesus as king. We are masters at producing third options. We are masters at it. There's two. Two options. Remember two roads, the narrow and the wide? There's two. There's two. There's not a cul-de-sac. Two is it. You follow him or you reject him. And that is it. And so, follow Jesus. We try to define what that means too. When Jesus defined what follow means. Let's go to it. Go to Matthew chapter 4. This is 
we are a church whose desire is to make disciples and those disciples make disciples this is how just a little bit about the first disciples in chapter 4 verse 18 as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing <clears throat> their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So following Jesus as king <clears throat> means radical abandonment for his glory. And means we surrender our entire lives. We surrender we surrender everything, our comfort and careers. Look what they did. They did the very same thing. They left their careers, their nets. They left their jobs. That our job is for the advancement of his kingdom. Our possessions, our position, our families, our friends our safety and ourselves, all of these things, we surrender our entire lives for this king. We don't just, could you imagine <clears throat> if Jesus went to these four brothers and said, come follow me, and they said, thank you so much for your consideration here is a, a check for $1,000 for Lottie Moon. I think I just kicked some Baptists in the shins. Radical abandonment for his glory. <clears throat> he has called us to surrender our lives and to spend our entire lives. To spend our entire lives for the honor of our king. And this is the king. Is Jesus the king? If he is the king, then we should follow him and not just be a casual fan, but a true follower of the king. And that means radical dependence on his grace. Following him radically doesn't mean that we believe that we have the right to do so. It means quite the opposite, really. I have no rights. This king is holy and I am wretched, but because of his grace, he loves me. He invites me to follow him. He empowers me to do so in all of these things. And so radical dependence on his grace and, and knowing that he takes the initiative to come after us. He, he came to us. And if he did not come down, we would not go up. He started it. And we could not. And again, he provides the power to use us. And so when he calls us to follow him, he wants our obedience and he provides the means to obey him and in in this then he gets the glory and then finally this means radical obedience to his mission so radical abandonment for his glory radical dependence on his grace and radical obedience to his mission and and what this this means here is that we live to announce his kingship. We know that he is king. We know that there is only one king. And we know that there are countless 
millions and millions and millions who do not know this king and thus will die and go to hell forever because they don't know this king. And so because we do know this king and the one true king, we live to announce his kingship and we die to advance his kingdom. It's interesting that Jesus called these 12 and these 12 for three years-ish followed Jesus in his earthly ministry. And history tells us that that 10 of the 12 died martyrs' deaths. Only Judas and John did not. You know what happened to Judas, right? <clears throat> Short rope, suicide. And then John... On the island of Patmos, he died as an old man. And it's kind of like Patmos was the only way that I can really understand it is like Alcatraz. It was a, a jail island where you don't go to live on the island because it is the place to be. You go because no one wants you on the mainland. And so that's how he died his days. And In applying this message to us, I want myself and, and everyone to get it. That a call from Jesus to follow Christ means something different than many believe it looks. It's not just, it's not like Jesus is really running for office, right? He is the king. He is not the king because we voted for him. He is the king because he is the king. And so, it's not that Jesus is trying to get our vote. It is not like Jesus needs us to add to him. Because if we could add to him, that means that he is not everything already. Because he loves us, he wants us to follow him. He wants us to, to live for him and even to die for him. And if it were about our, our safety, I don't think he would have told them that I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. This is not the safe choice. And so, if we are safe then we're probably doing something wrong and I believe firmly <clears throat> that it is going to get less and less safe for us to be disciples of Christ in this country and I believe that there is going to be a a serious turning away of people who aren't serious about the gospel. And I believe for the sake of the kingdom that that is a good thing. I have thought about this for a long, long time that how cool would it be if Christianity was real in America and it wasn't this easy American Christianity that it's been made to be. And so one day when when Satan gets his clutches around the neck of America, America caves, and it's not popular to be a Christian. You know, politicians don't want to be part of a church anymore because it won't get them elected and those kinds of things. And in that day, when all of the people who just wanted to be a Christian because <clears throat> if they could rub the lamp, they could get what they wanted from the magic genie when those people say whoa dude this christian thing hurts they're like wolves when those people go away then you see the true church i've thought those things for for years but then i think wow this could be this generation are we ready? Radical obedience to his mission?
Are we ready to give our, our lives and live for this king or perhaps even die for this king? And what that means for us, I believe, is we need to continue to fall more deeply in love with this king, learning more about him from his word, and even in our everyday lives, speak about the king. Do we have opportunities at school, at work, neighborhood? I mean, this is Gates County. There's only so many neighborhoods here. But do we speak about the king to the people we see? Are we excited about this king? And I know that in this political time, not a lot of people want to speak about who you're voting for and, you know, the positives and negatives of the opponent and all of those things. They go home and do it on Facebook. But we don't even do a good job of doing that on Facebook with Jesus. You know, I don't. I posted about four times in my whole life. And I may be lying. There may be only two. But if we live to announce his kingship, <clears throat> let's announce his kingship. Let's talk about Jesus. It's going to make people mad. But this world that is lost and our part of the world looking loster, if that's a word, they need a king. They need a king who's already been dead and didn't stay that way. They need a king that that is Lord over us, that loves us dearly. And so let us not be evil in withholding the best thing that we could ever tell somebody. Let us look for opportunities and be ready for them to announce this king. Because you know what? He's not running for a popular vote. He is the king. Amen? And so in this politically charged time, I'm encouraging you to vote. You need to vote as a believer. You need to vote. But far more important, far more important than an election is a king who will never be dethroned. Would you stand with me? As God leads you, as we have this time where we sing and <clears throat> we open our hearts to what God is doing, I just want to challenge you to do what he leads you to do. Whatever it is, I'll be up here at the front if I can pray with you. Anything that God leads you to do, will you have the courage to do it? Let's pray. God, we do love you, and we're thankful that you're our king. And Lord, I thank you that you don't need our vote for you to be the king. And that we serve such a great and mighty God who is the king of one that doesn't need to be propped up or encouraged so that you don't get depressed and all these emotions and stuff. Father, thank you that you are God. Lord, I pray that you would direct our steps in this political season. Lord, we thank you for the prayer time yesterday. and God, I pray that you would return this nation to, to your feet. And all around this, this country, I pray that you would wake people up to sin. Wake people up and break hearts over our sin. And cause us to cry out to you. Father, not just so that it's this leader or that leader that provides direction for our country, but so this country crawls back to your feet in worship. And Lord, that we serve you for a much greater and longer reason, because you are worthy and we will worship you at your feet forever. So Lord, take our lives. And even in these few minutes, I pray that you would do something in us in these next five minutes that won't die in the next five weeks. We pray for a work of God 
We pray for something that we can't do, we can't manufacture. We need you, Lord. And we pray that you would do it in our lives, in your way, for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're grateful that you're here. And so grateful that God meets us here. Amen. So as we leave, we leave encouraged, challenged, I pray, and that hopefully what God is doing today continues tomorrow in you, in your life, your family. So we want to pray that he would continue to have his way, not just in this room, but as we leave this place. So let's pray together. God, as we dismiss today, Lord, help us to not dismiss you. Lord, that we go and what your Holy Spirit is working in our heart continues to burn and that the flames are fanned and spread. Lord, I pray for revival in this world, certainly in this country, even in this county. God, you would do something that could not be attributed to any other factor except your powerful hand. And God, we pray that you would get the glory. So Lord, go before us and dismiss us with your blessings in Christ's name. Amen.